What's it like to be a professional mountain guide and climb Denali Peak? Can third-year clinical rotations influence your decision to change specialties? On this episode of Talking You and Med Student Life, gain some insight from third-year med student Megan on mountaineering in the wilderness, why her gap years were beneficial for her, and how she judges the accuracy of mountaineering scenes in TV shows and movies, all here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Welcome to another edition of Talking You and Med Student Life. I've got a great uh, med student today, Megan. How are you doing? I'm doing well this morning. How are you, Dr. Chan? I'm, I'm surviving. I'm hanging in there one day at a time, but I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to hear about your journey and your story. So what year are you right now, Megan? Right now, I am looking at the end of my third year. Oh, so let's let's go backwards a little bit. Like, how has third year gone? Like, um, it's very different than the first two years. And how's your third year experience? Yeah, you know, it's been um, it's been different because of COVID. Um, that being said, I feel so appreciative of everything that the School of Medicine and all of the physicians that I've worked with, and residents, and everyone, um, everything that they have done uh, for medical students during this truly bizarre time. Uh, So I think that I've had a unique learning opportunity, even if it's not what I was expecting with the pandemic. Um, But it's been, it's been great. I've learned a lot. I like it better than the first two years. It turns out clinic is more fun for me than the classroom. So it's been great. You mentioned COVID. How has COVID impacted your third year of medical school? I think that the biggest thing for me is that all of our core rotations are a little bit shorter than they used to be in the past. And consequently, we also get more elective time. So I've had more exposure to different fields, which I'm very grateful for, and a little less time to study for my shelf exams, which is a little more stressful. Um, So that's been a big change. And then Obviously, when we're actually in clinic, it's a, it's a little bit of a different dynamic. You're always wearing a mask. Um, there are more precautions. It's just something to get used to. Yeah. And then when you went into this year, again, I'm not going to hold you to this, Megan. Um, did you have an idea of what kind of doctor you would be? And how did third year confirm or disconfirm that notion, that idea? Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So I had a very clear idea of what I thought I wanted to go into at the start of third year, uh, which was emergency medicine. I was pretty sure that's what I was going to go into. I was an EMT before I started med school and I felt fairly confident and that was completely blown out of the water by my OB-GYN rotation, which I loved every minute of. And now I'm planning on being an OBGYN. Cool. That's awesome. So uh, you delivered a lot of babies, I take it, and a lot of rounding and a lot of time in the OR. And it sounds like that was a good fit. It was. It was perfect. Sweet. All right. I'm going to pivot a little bit because uh, you have a very unique, awesome, adventuresome background. So um, when did you first embrace the outdoors? When, when, when did that start for you? I would say that I didn't have any choice in the matter. So I was uh, raised by a mountain guide. And so my dad, when I was younger, 
worked for a variety of different companies. I think the first one was Exum in Wyoming. Um, so we guided the Grand Teton a little bit. And then when Exum started a Utah branch, he started doing some guiding here in Utah. So all of my family vacations when I was a kid were in the mountains. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as Saturday morning cartoons until I was too old for them just because we were always skiing and always climbing. So it's been something that's been a part of my life forever. And how does your passion for medicine intersect or combine with your love of the outdoors and the wilderness? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that for me, there's there are a lot of similarities between being really active in the outdoors and practicing medicine. So I was a professional mountain guide for about four years before I started medical school. And when you're in that position, you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and you're having to make a lot of decisions on the fly that could have potentially large consequences and you're also responsible for the safety of a lot of other people um, and to manage all of that you have to work in a team very well um, both with clients and with other guides and I think that the similarities between that situation and medicine really can't be overstated you know you're also working with a lot of uncertainty making very important decisions and you're responsible for a lot of other people so um, I, I would say that I feel like mountain guiding has actually prepared me pretty well for medical school in a way that I, I don't think would be immediately obvious. And what is a mountain guide? I have a rough idea, but I, obviously I'm talking to an expert. So what is, what is a mountain guide do? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people don't really know. So mountain guiding, uh, I'll pivot sort of to the uh, the more formal type of mountain guiding that we have in the United States. So you can actually become a certified mountain guide through the American Mountain Guides Association. And so there are three tracks that you have to complete in order to do that. And the first one is rock climbing or rock guiding. And that's something that we see a lot here in Utah. We have so much rock climbing, um, both down south and then here with Big and Little Cottonwood Canyons and all over. So uh, rock climbing is one of them. And then backcountry skiing is another one. And that there's obviously the skiing component and the technical skills component. And then there's also a lot of decision making and managing avalanche terrain that goes into that. And then the third track is alpine guiding. And this is the one that I think people know the least about. And so it's, it incorporates a lot. So there's mountaineering, um, like if you were to climb Mount Rainier in Washington state or Denali, which is what I'm most familiar with are those two. And then also mountaineering, you know, like climbing Everest, which I think most people are familiar with. So there's that, and then there's also ice climbing that's part of uh, alpine climbing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's actually, I feel like it's a, 
it's one of the broader fields. It's also generally regarded as the more dangerous track of the three, and it requires a lot of technical skill and years of experience. So um, those are the three different aspects of mountain guiding as I think of it. Uh, so I've done primarily alpine guiding um, on Mount Rainier, and then I've guided an expedition up on Denali as well. So the most dangerous one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's amazing, Megan. Like, uh, I mean, when you talked about the combination of medicine and mountain guiding, because I know these things, like you said, can be dangerous. Um, we're talking like altitude sickness and falls and things like that. Like, and your EMT experience. Like, can you? Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it sounds like you always have to be on alert. And if you're guiding a group of people, um, you're going to have to take care of them and ma make sure they're, they're doing okay. So yeah, can you, can you share your experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely the, the most experience that I've had with using my EMT certification has been while I've been guiding and they actually have what's called a wilderness EMT. So it's a wilderness first responder mixed with an EMT. And um, I use that quite a bit when I was guiding. I've had patients who have had high altitude pulmonary edema um, that we've had to take care of and get off the mountain also had a really interesting case where a client lost their eyesight spontaneously at about 12,000 vertical feet, um, which was an exciting um, experience, I think, for all of us, though they did very well. Um, but yeah, it's you're right that there isn't really a moment when you're mountain guiding where you can stop paying attention. Uh, you are always... Uh, always aware of your surroundings, always aware of the people that you are with um, and how they are feeling, which honestly, I really enjoyed. It's definitely a tiring job and you sleep very well at the end of the day, but I, I thought it was wonderful. I felt like I was always, I guess, just always engaged, which I really enjoy. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's a great, it's a great gig. <laughs> if anybody wants to try mountain guiding, um, it was really wonderful. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Cause I want to get some of your tips for, uh, beginners, which I sounds like most of us beginners, the rest of the population <laughs> compared to what you're able to do, Megan. This is awesome. So you talked about Mount Rainier and Denali. Where else is kind of on your bucket list? Are you... I mean, is Everest kind of like a target, I mean, for you? Or like, how, how do you kind of think about these things? Uh, that's a, so I actually have a post-it note um, with my bucket list that's taped to my computer that I can just add to. And just so I always remember, especially when I'm very tired in the middle of clerkship, just like, oh yeah, one day all of this is going to happen. So I definitely have a bucket list. Uh, Everest is not on it, uh, not for any particularly deep or thoughtful reason. It's just very crowded. <laughs> I don't like going to super crowded places in the mountains, but 
Um, the two mountaineering objectives that I am most excited about are actually both on Denali. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Denali is the highest peak in North America. It's located in Alaska. And you have to fly onto a glacier um, on these, these little planes. And the pilots of those planes are just amazing. But they fly you onto um, an actual airport that's on a glacier. And then you have to walk for a very long time to get to the top of Denali. And there are two different routes on that mountain that I'm really interested in. The first is the Cassine Ridge, um, and it's sort of the classic, more technical ascent of Denali. Um, just a really cool mix of ice and um, some harder snow and a little bit of rock, but it's, it's this really amazing looking route. And so that's one of them. And then the second big thing on my bucket list is something that's called the Orient Express. And it's actually, it's a line that you ski down off the top of the mountain. Um, and you really have to get it in just the right conditions or else it can be pretty unsafe. And there are a lot of crevasses at the bottom that have to be in reasonably good condition for you to ski over them. And that one, that one's actually, so my dad skied the Orient Express when I was 18 and I've been, been wanting to kind of, you know, compete with the old man a little bit and ski the Orient Express. So those are the two big ones on the bucket list. And then there are a lot of rock climbs scattered around Canada and America that I'd love to do and some stuff in, uh, in France and Chamonix, but the Cassine and the Orient Express are top of the list. And you mentioned ice climbing. Is that where you hike up a waterfall that is frozen or is that another term? Cause I, I I've heard people can do that too. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So you have uh, these ice axes and they're very specific for actually climbing vertical ice. They're different than the ones that you use when you're, say, walking up a glacier on Mount Rainier or Denali. And you also have these crampons, which again are different than the crampons that you use when you're walking on glaciers. So uh, it can definitely get a little bit confusing with the gear when you're starting out. It just seems like there are so many little technicalities and bits and pieces to keep track of. But yeah, it's you, you strap a lot of sharp things to yourself and then you start going up is how I think of it. That's amazing. I didn't even know I, until recently, I didn't even know that was a thing. So it sounds beautiful and dangerous um, all at the same time. So Yeah, I think that's a great way to think of it. Uh, so Megan, like, um, let's go, let's kind of tie this back into med school. Like, like, are you, like, does your schedule allow for you to, like, go to the mountains? I mean, how have you, have you found time um, to still get away? I mean, what, what's your schedule like? Yeah, I, you know, because the mountains have always been so important to me, I never really feel like I get quite enough time in the mountains <laughs> because I, I just, I, I love being able to go spend entire days, um, which you don't get quite as much of in medical school, but a large part of the reason why I chose the University of Utah was because the access to the mountains is so great here. 
Um, you know, there are other medical schools that are relatively close to mountains, but it's still maybe an hour or two to get to them. And here it's literally 20 minutes for me to get from my home to Big and Little Cottonwood Canyon. Um, so even though, you know, I always want more time in the mountains, I feel like coming here, I've been able to really maximize what I would have been able to in medical school. And another part of that is I have a lot of great friends in medical school who are great climbing and skiing partners. Um, and they totally understand the crazy schedule and they're really excited to get out. So that's been amazing as well. So even though I always want to get out more, I feel like the University of Utah has really helped me optimize my time in the outdoors. What are some of your picks? What were some places in Utah um, that you really enjoy? Or to anyone who's listening, where, where are some of those mountains or, or, or places either in parks or not forests? Like what, where, what would you recommend to anyone who's listening? Yeah, so my favorite place in Utah is Little Conwood Canyon. Um, and so for anyone who's unfamiliar with that, it's um, right outside of the Salt Lake Valley. And it's where Alta and Snowbird ski resorts are. And it's really where I grew up. So both of my parents worked for Alta Ski Resort when I was growing up. It's where I grew up skiing. I know every nook and cranny of that place. And there's amazing backcountry skiing there as well. So it's amazing in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, it has beautiful granite rock climbing, um, which I know it sounds a little funny, but I'm a little bit of a rock snob. I really like granite better than other types of rock. Um, and the climbing in Little Cottonwood is just fantastic. So that's by far my favorite place. Um, but obviously we have so many options here. Big Cottonwood Canyon is wonderful for backcountry skiing, especially when the avalanche danger is high. So I'd highly recommend that to anybody who's trying to get out and get started with backcountry skiing. And if you go down south, we have Indian Creek um, and St. George that have fantastic rock climbing as well. Um, so the, the list is long, but personally, I love Little Cottonwood Canyon. And if you were a beginner, kind of like me, like, would you recommend Little Cottonwood? I mean, like, where, where, where's a good place to start? Or would you recommend not starting in the canyons and, 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 and maybe just keep it even more local, like, like rock climbing gyms? I don't know. How, like, what's your kind of philosophy on this if you're a beginner? How do you take that first step? Yeah, you know, I think that... There is something for beginners in both Big and Little Cottonwood Canyon in terms of rock climbing and skiing, but the climbing gyms in Utah really are world-class. They're wonderful. So especially if you're trying to get rock climb, get started in rock climbing, they're amazing. So the two that are really big in the Salt Lake area are the front climbing gym and then Momentum Climbing Gym, and Momentum actually has a few different locations, but they're both wonderful places to get started and wonderful places to meet people, because I think that um, really to get started, the best thing you can do is find somebody who can be a bit of a mentor. It's, it's just like medicine. Having a mentor makes everything easier, and they help you see the path so much more clearly 
than you would otherwise. So um, climbing gyms can be a really great place to meet those people and to get more experience. And, you know, when you're navigating the outdoors as a beginner, having somebody to sort of show you the ropes and show you where to go so that you don't end up um, just sandbagging yourself is really helpful. And I draw an analogy to medical school. Um, again, like it's hard. And like one of the reasons why I do this podcast is like, you know, a lot of people have ideas about what medical school is like, and it's hard to describe it. And I think the best people who describe it are you, like the students within the med school. So, you know, when you talked about, I really like what you said about finding a mentor. And so like during the first couple of years or during this first three years of med school, did you like, were you able to identify member uh, mentors? Were, did you ever hit the proverbial wall? And like, I'm just curious how your experience has been with that, Megan, because I, I see some very powerful analogies between your experience um, in your journey to become an awesome mountain guide versus your journey to become a doctor. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I think that I've had both experiences of having great mentors and also having hit a wall. Um, my first year, I had a really difficult time identifying, um, identifying mentors in medical school. Um, and I think a lot of that was that I was coming from several gap years and getting back into the flow of the classroom took a little bit. And then also I was not really sure what it was I wanted to be doing. So I didn't know who to look to, to find a mentor. Um, at the same time, I think that I had a lot of people who did help me out, um, who filled these very specific mentor roles, um, especially in the Department of Student Affairs, I found a lot of support and in the academic success program. So I wasn't without help, but I don't think that I had the classic sort of mentor relationship with an attending physician that a lot of students are looking for. That being said, um, in my third year, it feels like I've had an abundance of mentors. There are so many people that are excited to help medical students. And especially now that I have a better idea of what I want to go into, um, it just seems like there are an infinite number of people to talk to who have fantastic advice. And I'm actually in the process of formally establishing um, a mentor, which is exciting um, and something that was pretty intimidating for me at the start of med school. So it took a little bit of time, it took a little bit of effort, but I am really happy with the mentorship that I'm receiving right now. And I do think that it's very similar to what I've experienced in the mountains. That first step of getting into the outdoors is usually the hardest part um, because you're putting yourself out there both socially and then also trying these new things and you're concerned about safety and that that can be the hardest step. Um, so when you do finally establish those relationships with people who can teach you and help you along, um, it seems like then you start progressing quite a bit faster. And that is in a lot of ways very similar to medical school. Do you feel that um, 
being proximal to the mountains will influence your decision for residency? Have you started thinking that far ahead or that's still like a year or so away? Uh, I have definitely started thinking about that. I really would love to be close to mountains. Um, so the University of Utah has a, an amazing ob program and also is close to the mountains. I've started looking at, um, you know, University of Washington, just because I've spent so much time in the mountains around that area and schools in California, because you're close to Joshua Tree and Yosemite and Mammoth and Lake Tahoe. And I, I am having a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of going to places that are a little farther away from mountains, which is maybe not the perfect way to be establishing my list of places I'm interested in for residency, but it, it is what it is. Um, and last few questions, Megan, this is great. I'm learning so much. Uh, do you have, a ch- do you have time to like watch TV and movies with everything going on? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, what's, you know, like if there's like a scene in the mountains where there's a mountain guide and like the kind of Hollywoodize it in your mind, do you kind of say, oh, that's not right. <laughs> You're not showing it accurately. All the time. Pretty much every time. <laughs> so, Vertical okay. limit is, is pure comedy gold, in my opinion. I was about to say, yeah, what are some really good movies that you think are very accurate? And what are some that are just really inaccurate? So it sounds vertical limit is inaccurate. Vertical limit is inaccurate, but also just very entertaining. So I wouldn't say that I don't recommend it, (laughs) but um, yeah, vertical limit. um, And oh, what is the scene um, with Sylvester Stallone where he's climbing? Cliffhanger? Cliffhanger. Yeah. That one is also very entertaining in that regard. And as far as ones that are really accurate, uh, I actually haven't seen the Everest movie that came out a couple of years ago, but actually several of my friends who are guides really liked it. So apparently there's something to be said for that one. Okay. There's a very intense, very quiet movie called, I think it's called The Arctic. Um, and it... It's yeah, it's an intense film, but it has, actually is, I think, fairly accurate in terms of depicting what it'd be like to survive um, in those super cold environments. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe if you if you're looking for some lighthearted entertainment, maybe is not the film that you're looking for. Okay, I think I know you probably have already done this too, but as my as I've grown in my career and I see there just seems to be always like medical dramas, movies um, like, you know, ER and the intern and Grey's Anatomy. And, you know, you start watching that and within a few minutes, like, you know, Oh, you know, this is not how it really works inside <laughs> a hospital. So uh, you'll get to have this dual kind of feeling as you watch these medical shows and mountain climbing shows that there's a lot of, uh, what's the phrase artistic Liberty that they take <laughs> um, to create uh these types of uh, entertainment. So excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Well, last question, Megan. Like, what would you, you know, to anyone's listening out there who, you know, is, you know, because it sounds like you took some time, you said mentioned gap years to apply to med school. 
what what would you say to people out there who are thinking about going to med school, maybe taking some time off? Like what what advice would you give them when you look back at the past two years, where you've come from and where you are now? What what wisdom would you share with those who are thinking about applying and going to medical school? The first thing that I would say is you are, and this is just my little cheerleader moment, but to everyone who's thinking about going to medical school, you are capable of much more than you think you are. Uh, I came from um, a degree in political science. I took six years off and I was so nervous to apply to medical school. Um, And it took a lot of encouragement from family and friends and a lot of hard work to study for the MCAT after forgetting everything from my undergraduate degree to actually get into medical school, but I'm so thankful that I did. And I'm so thankful that I didn't get overwhelmed and give up. So I would say, I know it's a a long, hard road, but I highly encourage everybody who is interested in applying to medical school to go for it. And as far as the gap years go, I loved my gap years. I wouldn't change it at all. I learned so much that I think is helping me as a medical student and will help me in my future as a physician. So if you're planning on taking a gap year, my personal advice is to do something that makes you really excited um, so that you are getting these experiences that will that you'll look back on and really value and will allow you to learn a lot um, that you'll be able to apply to your future career. And those are, those are my two big takeaways. That is beautiful, Megan. And I really appreciate your time and your dedication. And we'll have to have you come back on the podcast because I'm curious to hear, you know, a year from now, as you enter the match, as you grapple with, Um, where you're going to end up and all the kind of choices and decisions that you'll need to make. Um, I'm just, I'm just excited that you're here and I'm excited to hear that you're doing so well. Thank you. 